someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lyman. Over the past two episodes, we've spent the morning and then the afternoon in a shochu distillery. Today, we conclude the day with the evening work. If you have not yet listened to part one or part two of a day in the life of a shochu distillery, I recommend you pause and go back to listen before continuing that episode. As a reminder, this three-part series is based on my personal experiences working in a small shochu distillery in Kagoshima over the past decade. But this also likely reflects the experiences of many of the people who have spent time working and living around these small handmade distilleries in southern Japan. This story, which I've written, is narrated by none other than Rich Pav, our editor and the producer of the wonderful, insanely entertaining Uncanny Robot podcast. I highly recommend that you give that a listen once you finish this. Without further ado, let's start the show. As the clock strikes five, I can faintly hear the town loudspeakers once again come to life with the tune that signifies the end of the workday. The labeling ladies shout out a sing-song, and make their escape. The bottles that need labeling will still be here tomorrow. I am left with the bottling line as Tekkan's father continues to fiddle with the labeling machine. Tekkan hurriedly packs up orders and applies shipping labels for that day's deliveries. Delivery trucks will be arriving soon to ship Yamato Zakura to fine bars, restaurants, and liquor shops nationwide. I can tell the bottling tank is running low by checking a clear rubber tube that serves as a fill guide. Another of seemingly endless hacks Tekkan and his father have worked out through their years of experience and pure ingenuity. I finish up the last few bottles as I hear the first of the delivery truck backup signals. It's time to help load up the trucks. Today's shipments are relatively light. Thursdays are busiest as businesses prepare for their weekend rush. Next month will be extremely busy as everyone prepares for Bonenkai season, the notorious and absolutely fun forget the year parties. As the last of the trucks leave, Tekkan gives me a quick otsukare to let me know I can call it a day. There will be work later, but for now, I can rest. I exit the bottling and aging warehouse, careful to close the sliding door completely behind me. These small movements help me maintain Tekkan's expected level of perfection and remind me in each step that I can't rely on my usual level of precision. If I'm going to be completely honest, I'm a big picture guy. I don't sweat the small stuff. That's always been someone else's job. But at Yamato Zakura, that's my job. It's been a revelation for me, realizing how important every single decision I make can have on the final product, despite the fact that I am a tiny cog in a very small machine. In the parking lot, I find Tekkan's boys kicking a soccer ball back and forth. Some days they bring their bicycles or a baseball glove, but today it's soccer. Maybe because they know I played for most of my life. I kick with them for a few minutes before Tekkan comes out and lets them know that their mother wants them home. Now. 
They complain, as kids do all around the world. Another nudge from TechCon, and they're off for home. He shakes his head as he smiles at me. Fatherhood. As I walk back to my second-floor apartment above the office, I realize how tired my feet are. I've barely sat down since breakfast. Sure, I sat on a stone wall for a quick lunch, and again for a quick afternoon break, but I haven't had a proper sit since breakfast. Thinking back to my very first time working at Yamato Zakura, I remember my realization that there are no chairs in the distillery. There is no place to sit down. That's not entirely true. There are chairs around a table in the Obachan's break room, but that's always felt off limits to me. They go in there and gossip over tea, and I have not once intruded on their relaxation. I am sure working with me is stressful enough. Having to socialize as well? I save that for once a season. I treat them to lunch on my last day. They don't mind a free meal. Who would? Slipping out of my shoes and stepping into the apartment, I open the fridge and pull out a cold beer. Is there anything more refreshing than an ice-cold lager after a long work day? It used to be Asahi Super Dry, but my brother from another mother, Christopher Pellegrini, eventually convinced me to drink better beer. Now it's Orion from Okinawa when I can find it, or Sapporo Black Label. I strip off a few layers until I am down to a t-shirt and shorts. I climb the stairs to the second floor, where I have a sofa and coffee table. I know I claim not to have a TV, but actually I do. I tune into the sumo tournament, which happens to be happening while I am working at Yamato Zakura this year. Sadly, it's happening in Fukuoka, where I live. I've only attended in person once, and it was amazing. It's hard to imagine a more ritualized and traditional sport that manages to show incredible athleticism and strategy. I can't pretend to ever remember the names of wrestlers from tournament to tournament, but it's a great distraction after a long day. Sumo is weird, though. Unlike American or European sports, the tournament is over for the day by early evening. No primetime viewing available. As the tournament winds down, I finish my beer and check the time. I head to the bedroom and pull in a fresh set of work clothes. Before walking back to Tekkon's house, I put a load of laundry into the machine. I dirty two to three sets of work clothes per day, so I need to do laundry every other day to keep in supply. Each season, Tekkon has to reteach me how to use the washing machine because it's entirely in Japanese. And despite my increased language proficiency, some of those button names just don't make sense. I drop my beer can into the recycling bin and slip back into my vans. The walk to Tekkon's house is crisp, but pleasant. A couple of children play in the park, despite it now being after dusk. Their mothers idly chit-chat on a bench in the dark. Slipping off my shoes in the foyer of Tekkon's house before dinner is one of the most pleasant moments of my day. I know delicious food awaits, and unlike the morning, when his boys are either tired or busy with last-minute homework, now they are watching anime on TV. Their eyes shine with happiness as they see me come inside. Forever polite, they thank me for playing soccer for a few minutes before turning back to the TV. The next thing that hits me are the aromas. 
Tekkan's wife and mother-in-law have harvested fresh salad fixings from the garden in the yard. Quick pickles and homemade potato salad are already plated and served. I spy the electric dumpling hot plate on the dining table. Gyoza tonight. This is a blood sport. The boys can eat their weight in dumplings, and I am famished. Tekkan sits at the dining table, engrossed in his iPhone. He doesn't doom-scroll. He's constantly looking for two things, love for Yamato Zakura and clues about what trends might be coming soon. He's a genius at identifying what will be popular next. Several years before anyone else recommended shochu with sparkling water, Tekkan sat me down on a night much like tonight and served me his purple sweet potato shochu with soda. It tasted like grape soda. Since then, I've become a great fan of shochu soda. Today the industry is transforming as makers rush to find new recipes that shine with bubbles. It's transformed how shochu is consumed in Japan and overseas. I can't say that Tekkan started it, but he saw it coming. When he realizes I've arrived, he smiles. Next to him are two small unlabeled glass bottles. This year's Shinshu. He pours each into small Kagoshima-style Oyuwari glasses and pushes them towards me. I nose each of them in turn. Both have the gassy aromas I associate with Shinshu, but one is decidedly more reserved. I already know which I will prefer. Shinshu is newly made shochu. It's a relatively recent style, and I can't say I'm a fan. Due to the single pot distillation and the fact that nearly all of the heads are kept, these are funky and wild and not particularly good for your health. If I ever indulge in more than a couple of glasses, I end up with a terrific headache the next day. I don't think that's the alcohol. I think that's the off-gases. These volatile organic compounds degrade during aging, but right off the still they are a kick in the head. But Tekkan makes such clean fermentations, his Shinshu is easily one of my favorite every year. This year he's asked for my opinion. I'm chuffed. I try each. My nose didn't lie. I like the softer one better. Dinner time. Our tasting interrupted, we all gather around the dinner table and sing song, Itadakimasu. The boys dive into the gyoza with abandon. They're still bubbling as they shove them into their mouths, which, of course, results in the expected too-hot reaction universal to impatient eaters worldwide. I take a more strategic approach, building my ponzu and hot chili oil dipping sauce before digging into the salads and pickles. As the boys nurse their tongues, I attack my corner of the gyoza field with abandon. Before long, they realize they're losing ground and dive back in. From there, it's simply who can chew and swallow the fastest. Somewhat satisfied, I slow my pace and plate more salad. I return to the Shinchu Shochu samples. I make a hot water service for each. They are both delicious. I actually have a slight preference for the more robust version. Tekkan's watching out of the corner of his eye as the gyoza disappear. Fortunately, reinforcements are on their way. 
an entire new sheet of gyoza appear for the second half. As we wait for them to cook, I go back to the shinshu and try them on the rocks and then with a splash of soda. My original recommendation holds. I let Tekkan know. He nods approvingly. He had previously done the same blind tasting with two liquor shop owners he respects. They made the same recommendation. This year's shinshu is decided. The boys ran out of gas during the second round of gyoza. I am left to clean up the spoils. These amateurs and their small stomachs didn't stand a chance. They retreat to the couch to watch another 30 minutes of anime before Grandma forces them into the tub for their evening bath time. Tekkan and I chat idly until we've finished our dinner. Knowing this time is precious for Tekkan and his wife, I make my escape. The sky is now pitch black and the air is decidedly colder. Returning to my apartment, I take the laundry out of the washer and hang it to dry. Returning to the sofa, I lie down and close my eyes. I startle awake to the vibration of my phone on the coffee table. It's Tekkan. As I answer, he simply says, Kojimuroni. I check the time. I've been asleep for an hour, but it feels like days. The exhaustion is real. When I arrive in the koji room, Tekkan is already hard at work. He's hand-mixing the rice in each wooden box to cool it and aerate the koji. I join him. We each take a side of the room. My side has about ten fewer boxes, so we usually finish up at about the same time. He also gives me the side facing the exterior wall of the distillery. This side of the koji room is cooler than the other side, so if I screw up, the koji isn't as likely to reach a critical temperature before he has a chance to check it in the middle of the night. We usually chat for the first few minutes, covering any topic he has on his mind that we didn't discuss earlier in the day. But then we lapse into the routine. The sounds are mesmerizing, and the entire cooling process is dictated by the feel of the rice koji in your hands. The goal is to cool it to a temperature just about equal to the human body temperature. But this is confounded by the fact that it's hot and humid in the koji room, even on this chilly evening, so you begin sweating almost immediately. Once I start sweating, the rice grains begin sticking to my hands and wrists as I do the work. I have to be careful to sweep away any that cling to me. Remember, there's a god in every grain of rice, and I am sure none of them want to be carried out of the koji room on the hairy arms of a foreigner. Tekkan's side of the room falls silent. With my back to him, I am unsure if he checked his phone or if he's fallen asleep. By this time in the season, he can sleep standing up. I've never seen anything like it. I take a peek. Sure enough, he's having a catnap. I continue my work and let him rest. I'm more likely to finish about the same time as he does if I don't rouse him. During this work, my mind wanders. I might be at my most creative. It's a zen-like experience. Some people go to yoga camp. I go to Yamato Zakura. Moments like this, my mind can be completely empty and I can focus on nurturing the koji to its fullest potential. 
Without my assistance, it would die in obscurity. But I am simply a facilitator for the magic that this mold does. Invariably, I spill a couple of rice grains out of the wooden box onto the table. They can't be returned, but I don't want to waste them. I taste them instead. Sweet and sour. Tomorrow's primary fermentation may be a healthy one. Tekkon starts awake. I can tell, because he suddenly starts working again. We labor on in silence until we've hand-mixed all of the boxes too cool and aerate the koji. We finish at almost the exact same moment. As Tekkon puts thermometers into random boxes, I sweep the floor. Some rice has been spilled. As I empty my dustbin into the wastebasket, I say a small silent prayer for who didn't make it. Hello, Stephen back with you. That concludes this three-part series on a day in the life of a shochu distillery. I really hope you enjoyed this departure from our usual format. If you have any feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out to Japan Distillery. Um, excuse me. Well, hello, stranger. Uh, and, um, I allowed to talk too. I mean, what I, I leave, I leave town for a couple months, and then when all this new stuff is going up on the site, when suddenly we got your life story inside of a distillery. Tekkon's name is being said more often than my name. What is going on here? <laughs> how are you, man? I missed you. <laughs> I'm good. You, how are you doing, man? Good, good. I hope you had a that was productive trip. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely good. It was great to be out there. It was great to be talking to new people about new products and and uh and it's good to be back it's always good to be back home um but no honestly great job on this three-part series really really interesting and detailed and i i loved of course the idea of having rich voice it which you know his dulcet tones are absolutely hypnotizing so it was a really really interesting uh, diversion from from what we normally do, and I got a, got a couple of questions for you. You talk so much about the the sensory experience of being in the distillery, and I think that at least from my work at, as a brewer, I, that's something that was really indelible for me. You talked about the water, the sounds of the water. Mm -hmm. Are there any other sounds or smells or or feelings like you know from a just a tactile sense that really stick with you? That's a, that's a great question. It, it's interesting because the aromas in the distillery change throughout the day. In the morning, you've got basically the fermentation tanks that are just bubbling away. And, you know, you, so you get some light uh, fermentation aroma, a little bit of koji, a little bit of the, the, the sweetness of sweet potato fermentations going, uh, which I really gloss over in the, in the narrative because by that time in the season, when you start in November, you're not really doing much to stir the second fermentations because the temperature is being pretty well controlled just by ambient temperature. You do stir those pots, but I didn't, the, the story was already getting so long, I didn't get into that part of it. But then like when you're steaming the potatoes, that's a completely different aroma profile. It just permeates the whole building. Same thing when you're steaming the rice. And the aromas are such a big part of it. And it's something you never can see on Instagram or, you know, YouTube. Sure. Uh, you know, or, or understand through that. And so I was trying to capture that. And and then there's this the other sensory experiences, the tactile texture of the rice, the temperature of the koji as you're as you're working with it. All of those things are just so apparent to me as somebody who spent time doing this. And I think for people who haven't had those experiences, 
that's lost on on them through a lot of what they can learn about uh, making shochu. Right. Yeah. You did a very good job of bringing those to life through the narration. So I thought that was a, you know, lacking the visual, we were still able to immerse ourselves in the environment. That was really cool. So do you think that the routine nature of everything, the fact that you're essentially performing the same thing on repeat, is that something that you could really be okay doing full time? Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people have routinized jobs, but what do you think? Could you do it for a whole year? I've, I've thought about it. In, and now the, the, the season at Yamato Zakura is about 100 batches. So you would basically be doing this process for, I guess, what would stretch out to about 120 days mm-hmm. or, or longer because you would have uh, days off. There are, um, there are days when the distillery is idle. Of course, you still need to stir the pots and, and take care of the koji or distill if those things have to happen. Right. The whole full production, which I described uh, in, the, in this series, uh, doesn't happen every day. It happens about six days a week. But I actually would love to have the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. I would love to be able to go and work at Yamato Zakuda from start to finish and be intimately involved with an entire season's worth of production. Mm-hmm. I find the work so uh, mentally refreshing. It's physically exhausting. Right. I, I literally lose weight when I go and work there. Mm-hmm. I have more muscle tone when I come home and I, and I sleep better, right? Because I'm just physically exhausted. I take my bath at the end of the night, I fall into the futon and pass out, wake up at five in the morning and start the whole thing over again. But I almost crave being able to do it more. I miss not being there. Mm-hmm. Whenever the new season's coming, I'm like, all right, what are my dates? When am I going to be able to go? How long can I go? What's going to fit my schedule? And invariably, it's just not long enough. Mm-hmm. I want to I spend more time in the distillery. Yeah, that that's something that I remember from just being in in the space and doing the things to make something with your hands, there's something that is, there's something very Zen about that. There's something that you, you use the word refreshing. And I think it is a great way to kind of reset what's happening in your mental space. And I really remember being grateful for that as well, despite the dramatic and overwhelming physical fatigue that comes along with that. No question. I think you and I both have spent our careers largely being paid for our mind. For, for the work that we do with our brains and being paid or doing labor that's physical is such a different experience. And it's something that I have so much more respect for now. Right. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel like menial work. It feels important. And that was, I think, eye-opening for me. Having spent my career in a professional setting, I guess white collar, you could call it. It's not that I didn't appreciate uh, manual labor, but I, having not spent a lot of time doing it, I don't think I really appreciated just how much energy it took and, and what it took to do it well. Yeah. And working at Yamato Zakura, which is still doing it in the most old school way possible. It is actually harder than, than how most other distilleries do it. It's, it is more an extra labor and extra steps and less automation. And so in that sense, you went really whole hog into this uh, manual labor um, journey. And that's to be respected. If it was easy, then everyone would do it, which is why nobody does it anymore, right? Sure, sure. Very few distilleries do it in the way that you just described. And I think we should we should treasure that. No question. And I, 
I have been able to work in other distilleries and they all have a slightly different routines. I guess one example is Nakamura Distillery, which is another handmade distillery in Kagoshima. They start their production at about 4 a.m., but they're finished by 2 p.m. for the most part. There is some some later work to be done, but they they really shifted earlier. Uh, Manzen does as well. And at Manzen, it's up in the mountains. And so the entire uh, production team sleeps at the distillery. They they have a essentially a, a toji house. Mm-hmm. Uh on the on the side of this mountain stream and and that's where the guys stay during the season and uh you know drive down in the city for for supplies or for their days off or whatever so it's a really really uh fascinating world um with with Yamato Zakura Tekan and I think I mentioned it in the first episode but Tekan's mindset is you have to do every little step very very carefully because if you start to take shortcuts with the small things then you're going to start to take shortcuts with the big things. And that's when your quality is going to suffer. And Tekkan actually goes has gone in the other direction. He's becoming more rigorous and taking more steps in the 10 years that I've been working with him. So it actually takes more effort. Mm. He has found other ways to streamline, but on the one hand, but on the other hand, he's actually put in more steps to improve the quality of the Koji inoculation and, and propagation to improve the uh, quality of the fermentations. And so he's actually looking to make the work even more demanding. And some of that was actually integrated into the story because I made this as a composite from my memories over the last uh, nine seasons. But some of the steps that I described didn't necessarily happen in earlier years. So it's a uh, it's it's been a really fascinating experience to see how his mindset as a toji has evolved and how his his labor and his process has has evolved as well there's a lot of running back and forth between the distillery and the family home which is just down the lane right and obviously the the kids um Tekkan's wife his mother-in-law are a very much a, a big part of every single day every single work day um, can you talk a little bit more about how how important that is from um, Tekkan's point of view? Yeah, well, I mean, Tekkan's family is really everything for him. He he can get out of bed at five o'clock every morning and get up in the middle of the night to check the koji and all the things he does because he knows that he needs to do it for his family. Mm-hmm. And he really wants the distillery to be thriving to pass on to his children. You know, when he, when he's ready to retire and hand it over to them, he wants he wants it to be a, a thriving business with you know with a very uh, strong reputation. And the the apartment that I describe in in a little bit in episode one is actually it was his family home. That's where he and his wife and two young children were living when I when I met them. And actually, the first season, maybe even the second season that I was working there, uh, they were living in that apartment, and I was actually sleeping in the. Uh, the tatami room on the first floor. So I was basically living in their in their house. Oh. And then he ended up buying a house nearby that they renovated and now they live as you said down the lane. They're about just a few hundred meters from from the distillery. So now he has a little bit of separation and that apartment has been empty and so that beca- that became where I stay when I go and visit and work. And uh, when Joseph Overby came and was shooting the documentary that we're hopefully going to be releasing uh, later this year or early next year, uh, he he would stay in that apartment with me as well. So it's kind of the lodging for guests. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the the kids have grown up at the distillery. Now, his youngest son, when I started working there, was less than two years old. I I remember him as a toddler. 
and now he's playing competitive baseball. Mm. Uh, and his oldest son, you know, was very young as well, probably four years old when I met him. And now he's about to start middle school. And it's, it's really amazing to watch these, these, you know, these young children grow up into to young men. Uh, and then it's, it's also for me as a, as a foreigner who was not living in Japan when I started, it was such a, a precious opportunity to experience life in a Japanese home, in a traditional Japanese home in the countryside, uh, which is just something I don't think a lot of people uh, have an opportunity to experience. Uh, but, the, you know, the Wakamatsu family is absolutely, you know, it's their distillery. Yamato Zakura is, is their family distillery. Uh, and he's not sure which of his boys will take over, mm-hmm. uh, but he's hoping one of them will. That's the dream of all these families, and it's also the the, the fear that they won't have a um, a male heir who's interested, right? That interested in taking it over, uh, and it doesn't have to be a male heir. Obviously, uh, Serena Nishihira uh, took over the Nishihira Distillery down in Amami, and uh, Masako Furusawa took over for the Furusawa Distillery. So that that mindset's changing, but uh, you know it is a concern for for these families that they'll have um, somebody to take it over and, and run run the show. Uh, when they're when the current generation is finished. All right. Thank you once again for joining us for another episode of Japan Distilled. If you've not done so already, then please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled podcast wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. It really helps others find the show. And believe me, we have found so many people around the world who should be enjoying this, but just have never heard of it before. Yeah. And also, please remember to Tune in to our weekly live stream on YouTube or Facebook. That's our YouTube channel, Japan Distilled, or Facebook page, Japan Distilled. Uh, every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern or 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan. Kanpai. Kanpai. Kanpai.